Let me encourage you to turn your Bibles this morning to the last three verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, and verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, thank you for this great commission given to us by your Son. Thank you for this week that we have had to consider our part in it, our part in giving, our part in praying, and today our part in some of us going. And so I pray that you would impress this commission upon our hearts and let every one of us leave today set on participating. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you will remember that we spent a good part of the fall working our way through the final chapters of this Gospel of Matthew, considering together the arrest and the trial and the suffering and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of course, also his resurrection on the third day. And a few of you may have realized that we broke off our study a couple of weeks ago without actually finishing chapter 28. And you may have even suspected that that was intentional since our missions week was approaching. And it was intentional. This last portion of Matthew's gospel is one of the most famous, probably the most famous missionary text in all the Bible. And I wanted to save it for this final Sunday of our missions week. And yet it is also important to remember that this message, this great missionary text, this text about getting the gospel to all the nations, this great commission, as it's come to be called, is an, it is important to remember that these final three verses of Matthew are rooted in the context of the final three chapters of Matthew, and also in the final three years of Jesus' earthly pilgrimage. In other words, the great commission was not dropped out of the sky. It was given from the lips of our Lord Jesus at the end of three years of marvelous ministry and at the end of three days buried in a borrowed tomb. And that is important to remember when we hear what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 18. For these 11 men, after receiving his resurrection, had been called to meet up with him, verse 16, back in the old stomping grounds of Galilee, and verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And then in verse 18, Jesus makes one of the most astonishing, one of the most lofty, really one of the most audacious claims that any human being has ever made or ever could make. All authority has been given to me. Not just among you 11 disciples, not just among my larger group of followers, not just in Galilee, 
where I grew up and where we have ministered, not just among the Jewish people, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And not just authority over some aspects of life in those two places, but all authority in heaven and on earth. Now you just imagine that you met up with an old friend this week, maybe even someone who had been a spiritual mentor to you, and you sat down together for coffee, and he leaned over the table and said to you, you know, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It would be preposterous, wouldn't it? Indeed, you might take your friend for a madman or wonder if he'd gotten involved in some cult. But what if this same friend you had seen feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? What if this was the same friend who walked on water? What if this was the friend who spoke such that even the winds and the water obeyed him and the evil spirits too? What if this was the friend who raised Lazarus from the grave and who just a short while ago walked out of the grave himself alive again after three days? That would be a different story now, wouldn't it? Then you would have to actually take your friend seriously and begin to listen to what he had to say next with this authority that he'd been given. But you don't have a friend like that, do you? You don't have any friends walking around anywhere on this planet who could make such a claim as all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's why the claim in verse 18 would sound so utterly outrageous if it were made by any mere man. But the disciples had a friend who was no mere man, didn't they? The disciples had a friend who had lived and died and risen again in such a way as to back this claim up. And he comes to them now and he declares that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And they'd better listen to what he says next because he's proven that that authority is really his. And so I want you to notice what Jesus does say next. What does he do with all this authority that he's been giving? What is the very next thing he says after having announced his universal authority over all things. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That is what Jesus does with his authority here at the end of his earthly ministry. He announces it, and then on the basis of that authority, he leaves the disciples with this command, this commission, to take the news about him to every corner of the planet. And it is vitally important that we see the timing of all of this. The very next thing Jesus says after announcing his universal authority. And the very last thing he says before ascending into heaven is to give the disciples a missionary mandate, a mandate to take the gospel, Acts chapter 1, even to the remotest part of the earth. This must be our Lord's heartbeat. If this is what he says after declaring his authority, and this is what he says right before ascending into heaven, this must be his heartbeat, that he gather to himself through his followers people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is our Lord's heart as he walks out of the grave. And it is his heart as he prepares to return to his Father. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. All the nations, many of them 
nations that the disciples, as far as we know, would never even have heard of living as they did before the age of exploration. And yet, though the disciples had probably never conceived of the continents of Australia and America, and though they probably had no idea how far south and east the African and Asian continents stretched respectively, the command came to them in these universal terms just the same. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations." But let me say that I don't think Jesus intended this as a command for the 11 disciples only. Yes, these men were exemplary in getting out of their homeland and seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. But I don't believe the Great Commission, as Jesus gave it here in these final verses of Matthew, was meant for them only. And one of the reasons I think that is simply because of what Jesus says at the end of verse 20. At the end of verse 20, Jesus gives us this great assurance, doesn't he? I'm sending you out, disciples, to the far reaches of the planet to make disciples in my name, but I'm not sending you alone, for, lo, I am with you always. That's a good promise to the disciples, isn't it? Lo, I am with you always, but here's the key, even to the end of the age. I'm sending you out, disciples, to make disciples of all the nations, and I'm with you forever, even to the end of the age. Now, why would he say that? He knew that the disciples weren't going to live until the end of the age, were they? And yet, when Jesus gives this great missionary mandate, he speaks about his presence with his followers, even to the end of the age, which leads me to think that the task of getting the gospel out to the end of the earth was to go on well past the lifetime of the apostles. The task of getting the gospel to every nation is to go on, in fact, to the end of the age. And therefore, what Jesus seems to mean here is that whoever is carrying out in successive generations the Great Commission, whoever is getting the gospel to the ends of the world... In every generation, I will be with you, even until the trumpet sounds. This wasn't for the disciples, the 11 disciples alone. And add to what I've just said, the fact that marvelous a job as the apostles did at fanning out from the promised land and getting the gospel out to all sorts of places in their own lifetimes, places that many of us have never been, even in this age of travel, as well as they did All that good work notwithstanding, there are still tribes and tongues and peoples that have yet to be reached with the good news of Jesus. There are still ethno-linguistic pockets of people scattered here and there across this great planet who do not know about Jesus' incarnation in Bethlehem and who do not know about his sinless life of 33 years and his teaching and his healing and his miracles and his atoning death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. They don't know about God's invitation that the weary and heavy laden may come to Jesus and find rest. There are still great people groups with little or no access to this gospel that we hear every week. And so the task that Jesus handed, first of all, to his 11 disciples must be carried on by every successive generation of Christians until every tribe is reached and Jesus comes on the clouds of heaven to claim his bride. And that means that we, you and I, 
have to take Jesus' command seriously this morning. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what I want you to do now under my authority is to go. Go. And make disciples of all the nations. And all of us are called to participate in that great project. All of us are called to give to that cause of world mission. And to pray for the missionaries. And to pray for the nations. And some of us. Some of us in this room. I've prayed are called to pick up stakes and leave the United States of America and leave familiarity and leave comfort in many cases and to be the representatives in this generation who will heed the call to go. I pray that some in this room will hear that call and will heed it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Let's just talk about the nations for a few moments. Where has Jesus asked us to go? Well, let me give you some brief statistics on the nations and the peoples of this earth, all of which I'll draw from the 2010 edition of Operation World by Jason Mandrick. Great book that I hope many of you will pick up. I meant to have a copy to show you this morning. These statistics come from Operation World. Here's one. As of the time of the publishing of that book, 2010, the countries of Morocco and Tunisia in Africa and Afghanistan, Turkey, Turkmenistan, and Yemen in Asia were all less than one-tenth of one percent evangelical. Evangelical as people who believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone. Bible-believing, grace-believing, gospel-believing Christians. Less than one-tenth of one percent in those six countries in Africa and Asia. And keep in mind, those are whole nation states that have less than one Christian for every thousand people. To say nothing of the various individual tribes and people groups that live within those nation states and have little or no access to the gospel. And who is going to take the name of Jesus to them? Maybe someone in this room. And what about the tiny islands of Saint-Pierre and Miquelon? Have you heard of them? Perhaps not. They're territories of France floating off the eastern coast of Canada and heavily steeped in Roman Catholicism. And again, as of the 2010 statistics in Operation World, there are just over 6,000 people on these islands, no gospel churches, no evangelical missionaries, and only three known evangelical believers. And so who's going to go and actually open the Bible to them and proclaim to them the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Maybe someone in this room. And who's going to help reseed the gospel in a country like the Netherlands? The Netherlands was one of the great sites of victory for the Protestant Reformation in Europe. Read the history. was a place that God blessed. But today, nearly 47% of people in the Netherlands are classified as non-religious, outnumbering evangelical Christians by 10 to 1. Not nominal Christians outnumbering real Christians 10 to 1. People who have no religion outnumbering real Christians 10 to 1. And there are good men and women at work there in the Netherlands, but more, much more, has to be done. And who's going to go to Holland 
and sow the seed of the gospel once again into its soil. Maybe someone in this room. And who will preach the cleansing blood of Jesus to the people washing in India's Ganges River? And who will pack a saddlebag and travel with the nomads in Mongolia telling them about Jesus? And who will take the name of Christ to the street children in Brazil and the mountain villages of Nepal and the islands of Indonesia and the bustling streets of Cairo? Maybe someone in this room. And I urge every one of you to ask yourself if that someone might be you. Is God asking me to go and make disciples of all the nations? It's not an easy calling to go and be a missionary, but it is a noble calling. And it is a worthy calling. It is a calling that at the gates of heaven and forever in eternity, you will not regret. And if the Holy Spirit is calling you, it is a simple matter of obedience. And I hope that some of you will hear and will answer the call. And for those of you who do, for those of you to whom God is calling you to international soil for the sake of the name, what are you to do when you get there? That's what Jesus teaches here as well. What are you to do as a missionary? Let's just take a quick crash course in the work of missions so that some of you will know what you are signing up for. What does Jesus say we're to do when we go to the nations? Go, he says, and make disciples, verse 18. Make disciples. Now, sometimes we think of missions, and we may largely have in our mind uh, pictures of what really is Christian mercy ministry. We see impoverished people when we think of missions, and so we, we tend to think of missions sometimes as feeding the poor and raising the orphans and caring for the widows and healing the sick and so on, and we must do those things. Whether we're missionaries or not, we must do those things here. And often they especially need done on the mission field where the physical needs are so great. But what I want to remind you this morning is that while caring for the body is a necessary, vital, indispensable part of Christianity, no matter where we live, I want to remind you this morning that that is not the end goal of the work of missions. Often these ministries of mercy are a glorious beginning to the work of missions, but they are not the end because the chief aim of missions, according to verse 19, is to speak to the soul, to minister to people in such a way that they not only have a better life in this world, but that they actually become disciples of the master and live on into the next world, that they become disciples of the one who sent you to them. So hear me well. I'm not speaking against mercy ministries of caring for the body. I speak for those things. I'm just saying that if we're truly doing the work of missions, that will not be all that we are about doing or even the most important thing that we are about doing when we get to Afghanistan or Morocco or Tunisia or India or some remote and depressed village even in Alaska in our own country. Because the call of Christ here in the Great Commission is not first to make a better world, but to make disciples, people who follow Jesus. If we do that, often a better world would begin to flower right before our eyes. But the chief call is to make individual disciples. And what are disciples? Well, disciples are people who put themselves under the tutelage of a master, right? 
People who are willing to learn from someone who is greater than them. And so in in the case of Jesus and Christianity, disciples are people who are willing to put themselves under the lordship of Christ. People who are willing to put themselves under his tutelage. People who are willing, verse 20, to be (coughs) taught and to observe all that Jesus commanded his initial disciples. People who are willing to truly follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And this is what the missionary is to aim for out on the field. This is what you are to aim for, some of you, when God gets you to some foreign soil. You're to aim not simply for people who are willing to repeat a prayer or sign a card or raise their hand at an evangelistic event, but people who are actually willing to follow the master, willing to believe his gospel, willing to repent of their sins as our Lord preached, willing to carry their crosses as Jesus commanded, willing to obey God's laws as Jesus taught, willing to love other people as Jesus exemplified and as he said we should do. These are the true disciples. These are what the missionaries are to try and make by God's grace in the remotest part of the earth. These are the people who they are to baptize, verse 19, disciples, true followers of Jesus. Missionaries are called not just to seek decisions, which we all know from experience may or may not last, but to make disciples. And let me remind you, not disciples of themselves or of our culture either. We're not sending missionaries out, and some of you are not going to go out merely um, to make people civilized or outwardly Christianized, much less Americanized. We go out with the word of God and the spirit of God to make genuine disciples, not of ourselves or of our culture, but of Jesus Christ. People who know and love and follow him. People who sing about him, whatever the language and however the music may sound. People who love to speak about and hear about him. That will actually take care of their civility and their morality, and it will do a whole lot more besides, which is even more deep and more important, if we help them to fix their gaze on Jesus and follow and trust and love him. This is the calling of the missionary, the the calling that God has given perhaps to some of you, to go and speak the word of God about the Son of God in the power of the Spirit of God so that people will see and know, and trust, and love, and follow Jesus Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And then, when someone becomes a disciple, when someone has been brought to know, and trust, and love, and follow, and want to learn from Jesus, the missionaries are not only to baptize him or her, but also to teach him or her as well. Verse 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. When they become disciples, they're saying, I'm willing to be taught. I want to follow this Jesus. Teach me. Tell me how to follow him. That's what a disciple says. And so the missionary says, okay, let's start working through the scriptures. Teach them, Jesus says. To observe all that I commanded you. All. That's just as universal a commandment as the command to make disciples of all the nations, isn't it? 
We're to make disciples of all the nations, and we're to teach them all that Jesus commanded. And so, as broad and as expansive as we are about bringing the good news to every little nook and cranny of the globe, so passionate ought we also be about learning and teaching every little nook and cranny of this book. And not just here in America, but on the mission field too. We should not be content to say to ourselves, boy, those Christians in the rainforest are so passionate. They don't have good access to Bible teaching, good Bible teaching like we do, but they really do seem to love Jesus. That's wonderful in and of itself, but we are not to stop there and be content there. Let's praise God for their passion. Let's praise God for their love and their joy. Let's learn from and be rebuked by the example of people who have it in greater measure than we do. But let's not assume that that's all our brothers and sisters need. They need to be taught as well. And let us definitely not fall for the foolish and provincial idea that we sophisticated as we are in America, are much more able to handle strong teaching and intensive study than the people who live in the third world. That's not only prejudiced, but it's contrary to the Great Commission. Because Jesus says that we should make disciples of all the nations and that all those disciples from all those nations should be taught all that he commanded. And so if God is calling you to the mission field, he is calling you to know this book so that you can give this book to the people. In its entirety, he's calling you to teach. He's calling you to be thorough and complete in your teaching. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And let me ask, what does this sort of real disciple-making, followed by extensive teaching, what does that require? What is going to be required of you if some of you are to go to the Netherlands or Saint-Pierre and Miquelon or Tunisia or Nepal? What is going to be required of you if you're really going to disciple and teach all that Jesus commanded? Well, praise God, in this age of technology and in a shrinking world, God has been pleased to allow disciple-making to happen sometimes by means of correspondence courses and internet resources and Skype and sermon CDs and so on. We praise God that that is happening. But the reality is still that in probably 95% of cases, maybe more, real, genuine, lasting disciples of Jesus are made in person. And the most effective Bible teaching is also done in person. And that brings us back around again to the very first word of verse 19, go. If we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're going to obey Jesus' command to make disciples of all the nations and to teach them thoroughly, then some of us have got to be willing to go and put our boots on the ground and plant our lives and our families and our children in some different and needy, gospel-needy place. In order to achieve this great and as yet unfinished task, some of us are going to have to be willing to pick up stakes and to sell homes and to leave behind loved ones and to leave this church behind and to miss out on football season and actually go to make disciples. And I pray that some in this room will do it. I pray that 
from this small collection of people who have gathered on this Lord's Day morning that some of us will be among those privileged to go and make disciples of all the nations. And I pray that the rest of us will send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And as you weigh that possibility, as some of you even now may be sensing the prompting of the Holy Spirit about going, let me take you back to that word authority in verse 18. All authority, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's why you should go, isn't it? That's why there is the word therefore in verse 19. Jesus has all authority, verse 18, and therefore, verse 19, you should go and make disciples of all the nations in response to his authority. But how is it? that Jesus' authority compels us to go? What is it about the authority of Jesus that makes going and making disciples an appropriate response to that authority? Well, we already said that it's the authority of Jesus that commands us to go, right? And when someone of this stature, someone who has authority over us, someone who has walked out of the grave commands us to go, well, then we should go, shouldn't we? And if Jesus is calling you this morning to go, then that command from one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth should be enough to get you on the plane. But there's something else about Jesus' authority that I think also compels us to go. And that is that Jesus not only has authority over those of us whom he is sending to proclaim his word, but if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, then he also has authority over those people to whom he is sending us. Isn't that so? And that's important to remember because missionary work can often be very difficult. The work can be slow and plodding sometimes with very little in the way of visible results, sometimes for many years. And sometimes the work is dangerous because the people to whom the Lord has called you are hostile to the message and thus hostile to the messenger. And that might deter some people from ever going to the field or from staying there once they've gone. And I get that. But if Jesus should call you to go to a difficult place, you go remembering that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And thus, he has all authority in that difficult place and over those challenging people that you've been called to reach. And so you're not just banging your head against the wall. And as you go into your workplace tomorrow as a witness for Jesus, and it's hard and no one seems to really be interested in the gospel that you have to share, you're not banging your head against the wall because your Jesus has authority in your workplace. You are working for the sovereign over all the earth who holds in his hands each and every heart in this universe and who can break their hearts open to the gospel at a moment's notice. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and he will wield it on behalf of the gospel. And therefore, on the mission field or at home, your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And not only that, but this Jesus, this one to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, also promises at the end of verse 20, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus never sends his missionaries out alone. 
but always by his universal authority and with his own presence to be their strength, to be their shield, to be their guide, to be their hope, to be their salvation and their rejoicing and their friend. And so you go to the Netherlands. You go to Saint-Pierre, you go to Michelin, you go to Tunisia, you, some of you, go to Turkey, and he who has all authority in heaven and on earth will be right by your side all the way to the finish line. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.